This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Would you please turn with me uh, real quick to Colossians? What in the world does Colossians have to do with the Christmas story? We've walked through this uh, the last couple weeks, and this has been very obvious. The characters that I have, uh, we've talked about. We talked about the wise men, and uh, we talked about their journey, and I asked you, please don't rob them of their journey. When they left home, they left with their very best, and they went to worship a king not knowing what the king was going to be like, who the king was going to be, but they went to worship the king. And I talked to you about Mary and the gift that was within Mary. And I believe that the Lord used that message last week to, to speak to some of us and encourage some of us with what it is that God has put inside of us that maybe we don't see or potential that's there, that he, he's birthed something in us that is divine and divine nature and our human nature has collided. And through that, God wants to do something through our life. And today I want to discuss uh, this thought process that really... Um, He's not necessarily a character in the nativity scene. Uh, he's not really a character that we think about when we think about the Christmas story. But as we're walking through this journey, the Lord laid this on my heart that we need to look at John the Baptist. And so I want to start this in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. I believe it's uh, on your screen maybe, but it says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. With all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. If you think our worship is not biblical, there's your answer. Sing songs and hymns and worship to him with thankful hearts. What we just did is biblical. Amen? Doesn't matter what style it is, whatever. regardless, we could sit down in a variety. If we're singing songs and hymns of worship to the Lord, we're doing what the Bible tells us to do. Amen? Whatever you say, do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want us to look at John the Baptist in a little different way today. I know he's not your typical Christmas character. You ever seen a nativity set up with this grungy looking dude with this camel hair coat and robe with a belt tied around his waist, dipping honey out in a honeycomb, eating locusts? No. But he's essential to the Christmas story. From the very beginning when we see Luke start talking and giving his recount of this, we see that Gabriel actually went to Elizabeth and had a conversation with Elizabeth and Zacharias before he ever shows up to have the conversation with Mary and Joseph. The same situation, the same scenario, we talked about it last week. I talked about Mary's humility, and there had to have been a difference between her and Zacharias, and I heard something else this week uh, with that thought process, and it was more about the intention and the way you asked the question. But we talked about that, and we talked about how uh, Zacharias questioned Gabriel just like Mary questioned Gabriel, and there was actually a little bit of a difference in their questioning because uh, Zacharias is questioning with a disbelief. 
He said, how can this be? And he's questioned with a, with a disbelief, and we can dig down into the original language. I didn't necessarily do that last week, but we can look at how uh, his, his questioning of the, of the angel, how is this going to happen? There's no way that we can have a baby. How is this going to happen? His questioning of why is a why of that's not possible. And then Mary's questioning of how is a question of, okay, I get it. Can you literally tell me how this is going to take place? And so we see a difference between the two of them. But John was evident from the very beginning of Jesus' life. In fact, whenever, whenever Jesus, uh, Mary became pregnant with Jesus and Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house, I told you last week that just the sound of her voice, it did, we don't even know what she said. We don't know what the greeting looked like. We don't know what she said. But the Bible says that at the sound of her voice that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and John leaped with joy inside of her. Right? And all throughout, throughout Jesus' ministry, we see John actually taking place, going before Jesus to make sure that the ministry goes forth successfully. So there's no way we can exclude John from the Christmas story. Do you agree? I believe he's a prominent character. So I want to look at three different things today. I want to look at, first of all, just John's life, a little bit about him. I want to look at his role in Jesus's ministry, and then I want to look at us being like John, okay? That's where we're going. You with me? John's life was different. The Bible says that he was in the wilderness. Why in the world is this dude that wants to preach the gospel realistically? We say that there, there's really this three things that matter when we put a, a church, we put a church building in a location to try to reach people. Do you know what they are? Location, location, and location. And John, wanting to reach people and deliver the gospel, goes to the wilderness. That word wilderness actually would be better translated as the desert. So not only is he away from everybody, not only is he out in seclusion, but he's in this dry land where nothing's taking place. You ever felt like you've been in a dry land where nothing's taking place? Right? So John's location is, is different. We see John that he's spirit-filled from the very beginning of his life when Mary walked in and when she opened her mouth. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, everything he did, every, every action he took, every direction that he went, every word that was spoken out of his mouth was blessed and anointed by God, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. We have to know that. We have to make sure that we're taking that into account. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. He was very different in the way that the place that he was at and the way that he dressed. I'm sorry, I didn't really know how to find or where to get uh, a coat today that was woven in coarse camel's hair. If you have one, I'd like to hear the story behind that, but I would like to borrow it because that's interesting to me. But in two different areas, we see Matthew and Mark as they're giving the recount. They tell us that John's off in the wilderness and that he's dressed in this coat woven out of coarse camel's hair, wrapped in a belt, and he's living on honey and locusts. I don't know what you're planning to eat for lunch today, but I'd imagine it's not locusts and honey, right? I'm not going to lunch with y'all today. I'm not eating locusts and honey for lunch. He's weird. 
He's a very different guy. There's something strange about John. He doesn't look like everybody else. He isn't talking like everybody else. The words that he is using, this message that he got is crazy. It makes no sense. And here he's off in the wilderness or in the desert trying to make this happen, away from everybody else, looking different than everybody else, eating this crazy food. Now, I'm just saying, I don't know what locusts and honey would do to you. I just know we went on the 21-day fast last January, and when you start taking things out of your diet and you start replacing them with other things, your body does some weird stuff, right? I ain't trying to get graphic in the pulpit, but I'm just saying John had to have had some interesting side effects, right? Living on locusts and honey is different. He's a weird guy. His life is different. What's interesting, though, is he's so bold. He's bold. He's living in this place that nobody else is. He's looking like nobody else, eating what nobody else is eating. And the Bible's specific enough to give us in two different recounts of the gospel. We have these details, but why are they important? I don't really know why they're important, but obviously they're important to tell us this is how he dressed and this is what he ate. Otherwise, Matthew and Mark would not have told us this is John's life. For some reason or another, we know he's different. If everybody had been dressing in a coat woven out of coarse camel's hair, then we wouldn't know nothing about John being like that. He would have fit in with the crowd. If everybody had been eating and living off wild locusts and honey, it would have been no big deal. Matthew and Mark would have thought nothing of it. We wouldn't have it, right? Obviously, he's different. But not only is he in this dry, off-the-wall, wilderness place trying to spread the gospel, to spread the name of, hey, there's a Messiah coming, there's one coming that's greater than I. I look weird, I smell weird, I talk weird, I eat weird stuff, but hey, I'm bold enough to tell you the truth. He's bold. And somehow in all of this, he's attractive. It's weird to me. I don't get it. Sometimes, can I just be honest with you? I feel like we can't get y'all to show up to church for nothing. I mean, I'm just being real. And here's a dude that I'd imagine stinks. His place of worship's not on the main highway, it's not convenient. He ain't got, you know, elaborate meals spread out to feed you when you get there. He's got honey and locusts. He looks different, talks different. Yet, Mark chapter 1, verse 5 says, All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see John. That amazes me. As a person, my, my mind is is always constantly rolling and I told you several weeks back when we went to Disney World I'm walking through it enjoying the magic of Disney but it's more how can we do this as a church I'm constantly trying to process what is it that we can do how is it what is it that we can do to to get somebody that maybe has never seen or doesn't even know Sapona Road's even on the map what can we do to at least say hey here we are so it amazes me that this guy that's off the beaten path doing nothing special for anybody, really kind of talking out of his mind for this time frame, is attractive enough that all the people of Judea showed up 
to see John. He's attractive. He's got to be. I'd imagine it's not in his looks or his smell. I believe it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit, though. Because he was baptized with the Holy Spirit before he was ever born and took his first breath of air. But he's attractive. He's weird. He's spirit-filled. He's attractive. So what's his role in Jesus' life? I'll be honest, you know my mind does weird things. John's role was kind of defined in the beginning. In, in the Old Testament, Isaiah, he, he identified John as the voice from the wilderness. Malachi prophesied John as the messenger being sent by God. For us, I see John as a spiritual bulldozer, a bull in a china shop. None of this made any sense whatsoever. Jesus, the Messiah, is about to come from a place where nobody really has anything that Bethlehem, the place of bread, which is fantastic considering he's going to be the bread of life, but it's a nowhere little place. He's coming from a nowhere little family, and he's supposedly the Messiah that's going to raise up and be the Savior of the world, to be the Savior of the people of Israel. Who is this guy? And so for me, I see John as... A bulldozer trying to plow and make a path for Jesus so that it's not quite so mind-blowing when he walks through. You with me? Almost like, I just thought about this randomly, but way back when, uh, we were burning some uh, brush in the backyard of the house, and I really don't know how it happened, but the woods caught on fire. And it was this kind of exciting day, firemen everywhere, bulldozers everywhere. I'm just a little boy, so for me it's like fire trucks and bulldozers, right? What was so cool about this day, though? Those bulldozers plowed some amazing new four-wheeler trails. Places that I could not go. Places that I had zero access to. I mean, the mound of the bulldozer was this mountaintop for me now. But where I had no access to before, because the woods caught on fire, and these bold bulldozers have plowed through, I now can go anywhere I want to go as long as I stay in the path of where that bulldozer was. Right? For me, John served that role. He was a spiritual bulldozer for Jesus. He, Jesus was able to go places. He was able to be received in a way that he would not have been, been received before, all because John had plowed the way before him. You with me? John had to be in the Christmas story in order for Jesus' ministry to be effective. Right? John had given his life for Jesus. He recognized his place, though. Mark recounts in chapter 1, he said, Someone's coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. You ever seen a bulldozer that had humility? 
That's impressive. The fact that he had the power and the anointing to plow through, to prepare the way, but he recognized he's not the one everybody should be looking at. His job is to plow through and make a way so that the greater one, the one that's so much greater than I, can come behind me and he can do what he needs to do. He can walk comfortably. That's interesting. You watch uh, somebody walk through a crowd that has a security team around them. Those guys are pushing people out of the way. They're shoving people out of the way so that that person, that VIP, can walk comfortably through the crowd where he needs to go and accomplish what he needs to do. Right? And realistically, John's done the same thing. Maybe in the spiritual sense, maybe it's not a physical sense. I believe some of it was. But maybe it's in a spiritual sense that he walked through literally pushing people to the side so that Jesus could be effective in what it was Jesus did well. John had a place. He had a role and he knew his place. What's interesting, though, is how different Jesus sees John than how John sees John. Because it came time for Jesus to be baptized. The prophecy had said that, that he would be baptized, that they would do the first fruits that they would go through. And Jesus shows up to the river where John's baptizing people. I think that would have been an amazing thing to see. One dude baptizing all these people that just happened to show up to hear him talk. Have you ever heard of the Babylon Bee website? Anybody? It's a satire. It's fake. It's not real. If you ever see anything that's... Don't assume that it's something crazy. There was an article that they published several years back that said that Elevation Church had a water slide in their church, and that's how they baptize people. That's not true. It's fake. It's to make you laugh. That we should put massaging chairs in our pews, and that we should, I mean, some of you would be more excited about coming to sit down for a little while if there was massaging chairs and heaters in them, right? And so they write stuff like this, and I could picture them writing an article of, and it's similar to the one that they wrote about the water slide, but I somehow my mind just somehow pictures these people, and, and they've orchestrated this line kind of like a fast pass line at Disney World, and somehow you're rolling through, and John's just got somebody, and he's handing on people. <laughs> this is just my interpretation. I have no clue that it was really like that. I'm sure it was more meaningful when he baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus shows up in the midst of all this ministry. That's the point. Jesus shows up in the middle of all this ministry. All these people are there. He's obviously attractive. And Jesus walks on the scene and kind of tries to slip in line. And John said, no, you should be baptizing me. And this is where Jesus' interpretation of John and John's interpretation of John are obviously different. Because John said, here comes one greater than I that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and tie his sandals. But Jesus thinks enough of John to step up and allow him to be a part of the plan to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. He said, no, we've got a job to do. We have a prophecy to fulfill. So you need to baptize me. And John agreed. Wouldn't you agree? But John knew his place. He knew his role. But Jesus saw enough in John to allow him to be a part of the fulfillment of the plan of God. When that sinks in and we think about that for you and I, it kind of puts ourselves into perspective a little bit. 
I walk around with my head hung down fairly often. Try to remain in humility. Try to remain as who I am. Hold my role and know that that there's one greater. I'm just trying to be a bulldozer, a bull in a china shop to make a way for Jesus to do what Jesus does. But Jesus thought enough of me to come get in line and allow me to take place in the fulfillment of his plan. There's a human side of John who was put into prison for preaching the gospel. See, it's interesting for me, and I, there's a, a book that I was listening to a while back, and it was this mind-blowing thought. John's in prison. He's baptized Jesus. He knew the Messiah was coming. He knew there was one greater coming than I. He's watched Jesus perform some miracles. And here he is sitting in prison. It's really amazing how our circumstances can change our perspective. Right? Your circumstances ever change your perspective? John knows Jesus. He's his first cousin. He knows Jesus. He knows what's taking place. He's known him his whole life. And yet, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Duh. Don't you think he knew that? I don't think the question was about knowing that Jesus was the Messiah. Let me play on this just a little bit, okay? Give me some grace. I believe John was human enough that he's sitting in prison thinking, if you're the Messiah, you're performing all these miracles, I've plowed away for you. Why are you letting me sit in prison? How do I have to sit here while you're all doing all the miracles? I'm the one that made it available for you to do those miracles. So are you you the Messiah? So Jesus is teaching and the disciples show up. So in Jesus' disciples, this is John's disciples. And, And they ask the question, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And you ask, the answer you receive drastically depends on the question you ask. If John needed to know why he was sitting in prison, he should have just asked that. Right? Give me grace. I don't know what John's thinking. I just know he's human. And Jesus said, go back and tell John... Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him God blesses those who don't turn away because of me. I think John was looking encouragement. I think John needed encouragement. Why am I sitting in prison and you're off doing the miracles? Are you really the Messiah? Why are you leaving me in this place? He asked the wrong question. 
realistically, can I be honest, I think it's a stupid question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking? Really, John? And so Jesus answers the question. The lame are walking, the deaf hear, the mute are speaking. But then what's so crazy, and this is where we really see what Jesus thought of John. In verse 7, it says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Jesus is about to brag on John in an amazing way, and John doesn't get to know it. Jesus even goes to say in verse 11, I tell you the truth, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. All the while, John's sitting in prison, wondering what in the world have I done to land here? Who in the world are you that I thought I was preaching the gospel for? That's interesting. The point of that book was the junk that goes on in your head that caused John to question that never goes away. The name of the book's Crash the Chatterbox. We always have a, a voice in the back of our head, right? Talking junk to us day and night. It doesn't ever go away. John, even in his place, was human enough to experience that. He asked the wrong question, so he got the wrong answer, but Jesus thought enough of John to say that there's nobody greater yet. Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. He was human. The interesting part of all this is you and I are called to be John. We're called to be like Jesus. But I believe wholeheartedly we're called to walk in the role of John. John's different. Looks different, acts different, talks different, eats different. When was the last time you were recognized for being different? When was the last time that we were recognized for not looking like everybody else? That our actions didn't look like everybody else's. I've had quite a few people to be honest, it's made me nervous. Tell me that they're joining us online, watching our services. I'm so grateful for that. That's the reason we went through the headache and the trouble and the investment to make it happen. I'm so grateful for that. It makes me nervous because I see you beautiful people and I've got used to you be beautiful people being a part of the family and I can talk to you and be very real with you. I don't know who I'm talking to now. But you know what's interesting? You know, the majority of who ends up watching these videos? People that Jesus can't minister to them in a setting like this because they've never had a John in their life. They've been hurt. They've been broken down by somebody that was supposed to be preparing the way for Jesus.
And Jesus can't minister effectively in their life because they've not had a John. Somebody's got to make the way out there in Walmart when everybody under the sun is trying to get out and check out to get home because everybody waited to the last minute of the Christmas shop. Amazon's quit delivering it on time. You know, there's so many people that won't step in foot, that they won't step through the door of the church. They won't walk into a setting like this. Because rather than a John preparing the way and, and opening up and allowing them to see that we're just real people, that we hurt, that we're broken, that we're busted up just like they are, rather than being honest and being real, rather than saying, you know what, I hurt like you hurt, I have bad days like you have, but I have the hope of Jesus. And I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to love you regardless of what it looks like for me, regardless of how it feels for me. I'm going to do my best to stand in this moment, and I'm just being a bulldozer plowing the way through to try and wipe out all that junk that everybody before me has put in their path so Jesus can come behind me in some way, some, some little still small way and minister to those people. Jesus could not have accomplished the mission of the gospel without people going before him. The disciples were standing right there with him when he said, hey, you know what? You're not going to send these people away hungry like you think you're going to do. No, you're going to be a John. You're going to do something miraculous right here for a moment. Take these little fish. Take this bread. I'm going to bless it. You're going to go and you're going to feed these people. And because you feed them, now they're going to look at me in a different light. I'm going to be able to minister to them and speak to their heart, not to their stomach. Sure, John's human. I'm human. I read the book Crash the Chatterbox because this guy needed to crash the chatterbox. I'm human. And I learned an awesome revelation in that book. It's never going to go away. But that doesn't mean we don't keep striking that down and keep moving forward. It's amazing the avenues that come when somebody pushes through and prepares the way. I hadn't been in those woods for a very long time that burned. But I believe I could still go back to them and there's still evidence of where the bulldozers rolled through there that day and cleared away. God's calling us to be the John. It's not hard to be John. It's uncomfortable. And that dry place that we're called to minister might be that place of aggravation where we're just as frustrated and fed up and mad at everybody else just like they are. That might be our dry wilderness that we're in the middle of, yet we still put a smile on our face and bring some light to somebody. John's baptizing people. But the whole time he's saying, one's coming greater than I, baptize you in water, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's not about John. It's not about John at all. It's about what he's doing to prepare the way for Jesus. I can't preach a sermon 
like I intend to preach next Sunday and it be effective without some Johns going before and opening up the door and softening some hearts and say, you know what, I, I asked somebody that I talked to this week that was talking about our services that said, you know, they, they don't care to go to a church. I said, our church is perfect for you because we're all like that. This guy's the one that's been hurt as bad as anybody. We're a perfect place for you. But until we show them that, outside of this place, they're never going to walk in. I don't care that they ever walk in these doors. I hope and pray they sure do. Hope they become millionaires at the same time. We're just prophesying in all kinds of ways today. The point is, though, that somehow, some way, somebody's plowed up some ground so that Jesus can walk humbly and do what Jesus does. It ain't your job to convict anybody. It ain't your job to, to push anything on anybody. It ain't your job to tell somebody they're going to hell in a handbasket. Two wrongs don't make a right. It is your job to push the junk out of the way so that Jesus can do what Jesus does. Father, I know my role today. I walk in humility knowing that God, I'm not worthy to stoop down, as John said, and buckle the sandals of your, the, the straps of your sandals, Lord. God, but I also walk with my head up and I walk in authority knowing that you've gifted me and you've empowered me by the Holy Spirit. Father, you've put a mandate on us today. You've put a calling on us. You've allowed us to see something in a different light today. Lord, and you're calling us to be bulldozers. You're calling us to clear a path, to make a way, a path that's, that's going to remain for years to come, a path that's not just going to flood right back in. Father, it might be a smile, it might be a kind word, it might be something that's, that's so minute, God, but it would be a bulldozer pushing back some junk so that you can do your work. And that's what you're calling us to today. Father, we've heard today that John's different. He didn't look like everybody else. He wasn't in the same place as everybody else. Physically, God, I believe he might have been. For our life, it might be that we're standing right in the middle of the crowd when our place of mind, our place that our heart rests, can be somewhere that's totally different from everybody else. We can stay in a mindset that's different than the people around us so that we can be prepared, God, to prepare the way. He was human, Lord. God, but yet you still called him the greatest, that there was nobody that had ever lived as great as John the Baptist. Father, you're calling us to walk in our role today, to fulfill the role for your ministry. God, give us a heart for people like we've never had before. Father, that when we're standing in a place, when we're just walking up and down the, the sidewalk, Father, wherever we are, Lord, when our human nature would want to, to cause us to do something crazy, Father, we raise up and we allow the spirit man within us 
to be the one that speaks and we plow the way for you. Pushing back junk in people's life, pushing back the, the hurt, the anger, the frustration. Father, prepare in a way so that you can do what you do. Father, we give ourselves to you today. Lord, use us to prepare the way for your ministry. Use us to prepare your, the way for your kingdom, God. Lord, let us not allow this Christmas season to go by and be all about receiving and, and what we can get and what we can get and even what we can give, God. But let us take a minute today, Father, and remember that, that somebody has to go before you. There's people that are outside the walls of this church. There's people that are in our families that are hurting, that have been hurt by people, God, that, that were just hurting people themselves, Lord. God, but they've been hurt and you can't minister to their heart because there's not been another John to come and prepare the way. God, use us. Use us as bulldozers. Allow us to push back some of the junk, some of the crud. We do it in all humility. We do it in all gentleness. It might be just a simple smile, God, but we're, we're taking the action of a bulldozer to push back some stuff. As we plow more and more, Father, it opens up the ground and it turns over the ground of their heart so that you can minister to them. God, we're committing to be different. We commit ourselves, Lord. Let us be recognized as somebody different. Don't let us look like everybody else. Father, don't let us act like everybody else. Let there even be a sweet aroma of worship that comes from us, God. Let the temperature shift when we walk in the room because of the fire of the Holy Spirit. God, we recognize our place and we'll remain humble. God, keep us to a place of humility. Father, but we also recognize that you've chosen each one of us today as a part of the fulfillment to your plan. Just like you allowed John to baptize you, Jesus, you're allowing us to take a role, to take a place in the fulfillment of history, in the fulfillment of your will, in the fulfillment of your plan, God. Use us, Lord, to prepare the way for your ministry. Father, I pray... That as we walk throughout the rest of this week, God, Lord, that you would give us eyes, we would be extremely intentional to see people that we simply need to just to sow a little bit of life into. Father, I pray that you would give us the concentration to be intentional to invite some people to the house. God, that conversation can't just be, hey, why don't you go to church with me, Lord, but it's going to be just taking a moment, finding common ground, pouring into their life, and give them hope and a reason to join us to sit on our pew in church. Father, I pray that you would begin to put people on our hearts and our minds even as we stand in this altar today. God, that need to receive a text message from us whenever we walk out the door that need to be encouraged throughout this week, God, that they would just see something different, that we push back the junk just a little bit so that you could minister. Father, as we go out and we act in our role of John this week, Father, I know it's going to be blessed. I know that you're going to pour out your blessings on our efforts. God, it very well may land us in a place that's uncomfortable. 
as John sat in prison. But we're willing to sacrifice it all for you as you sacrificed for us. God, I pray for the people that are going to show up here next Sunday. God, I'm believing that people will be in the house that wouldn't ordinarily be here. God, and I pray that they see more than anything, they see your love shine through on every person's face that's a part of this family. Lord, every person that represents Sapona Road Church of God, I pray, Lord, that we're simply a bulldozer gently plowing through the junk, and that be what people see so that Jesus can come behind us and do the ministry. Father, I pray for your blessings on our families. God, you've poured out so much on us. Father, I thank you for this season, this time of celebration, the time of remembrance as we celebrate your goodness, your love, your grace that you gave us in your Son. Father, I pray you keep us, you bring us back again in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.